There is no growth in comfort and no comfort in growth. Business today typically values and promotes leaders for their subject expertise. Leaders who have command of the details and execute based on knowledge and experience are highly respected. However, to grow as a leader, you have to get out of your comfort zone. That means learning to lead without just being the expert. Learn to gain the trust and respect of a team that might know more than you do. Get comfortable with ambiguity and with not having all the information. Develop the skills and confidence to lead in a different way. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. I'm Wanda Wallace, and today I want to talk again about two big things that are going to be really critical for leaders of the future. I think it's going to be a totally new paradigm, and so does my guest today in terms of leadership, and that is going to be one that requires us understanding how to provide a sense of meaning and purpose at work, and also understanding what all this collaborative (laughs) stuff is about and how we go about collaborating across boundaries and manage our time in collaboration and so on. So the ultimate questions that we want to ask is, what does it mean to lead with purpose? How do you go about doing that and what's it worth for you? And then we want to turn the tables and say, and what's this impacting us on collaboration? So with me today is Tim Kelly. Tim is a global change agent, an internationally renowned expert and the author of multiple multiple books. And he specializes in helping global leaders transform, evolve their organizations, their markets, and their industries. And he does that, getting them to think about paradigm systems and methodology, and particularly adopting new paradigms. He's worked with companies like Nabisco, ING, Oracle, PricewaterhouseCoopers, a number of governments, as well as NGOs. He's trained over a 1,000 people in his methods, and the most recent book is called True Purpose. As I said, there are several others. So Tim, I should also mention that Tim um, has commanded military organizations, including an amphibious amphibious assault craft unit. Try saying that three times. And he's a retired (laughs) Naval Reserve officer. Tim, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Delighted to be with you, Wanda. It's a pleasure to have you here. Um, so progress seems to me to be the hot buzzword of the day. Everybody is talking mm-hmm. about it suddenly. We know millennials are looking for it. They're expecting it. They're thinking that it should mm-hmm. be there. If they don't find a sense of purpose, they're going to walk out the door and go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. But is it all just hype or is it real? Well, I think there's a fair bit of hype. And uh, as companies are seeing how their customers are reacting and what's happening to companies that are purpose-driven versus companies that aren't, um, understandably, and from my point of view, properly, they're trying to get on the bandwagon, as they should. Um, how they go about getting on the bandwagon is very different. So some of the hype comes from companies that are trying to appear purposeful but haven't fully drunk the purpose Kool-Aid, if that makes sense. So it's sort of the purpose mm-hmm. version of greenwashing where they're sort of have right. a, you know, they, they have a purpose-based marketing campaign or something like that, but they're not actually changing their practices or management or anything like that. And uh, with this particular one, it's actually very easy to sniff out when they're faking it. Customers can tell within seconds. Um, so that really tends to backfire. Um, but there is a lot of very genuine interest, both at an individual personal level, just human beings have a higher expectation now about getting meaning and fulfillment at work, for example, than they used to. And not just the millennials, uh, the older ones too. Um, mm-hmm. So that, that's real. Um, and uh, companies are genuinely, sincerely looking for their organizational higher purpose 
both to uh, for the for the benefit of the bottom line, but also for the benefit of their customers and their employees and the world. So it's, I'd say, in fairness, it's a mixture of a genuine trend and real adoption, and folks who are being scared into pretending. So, what's the real benefit from the companies who take it seriously? Yeah, can you give us an example of how that's played out for that sure. company? Yeah, there's actually a growing body of statistics about it. It wasn't being studied until relatively recently, but the last few years, uh, big research firms have started to study it, and they found some pretty amazing statistics. So um, one is that uh, the employees in purpose-driven companies average 90% engagement level, and the employees in the average company globally average a 13% engagement level. And that high, that 90% engagement, that's just astronomical. I mean, companies work really hard to get their, their employee engagement from like, you know, 18 to 22%. <laughs> yeah. So numbers like 90 are just, just stratospheric. And that translates directly into employee retention and turnover is very expensive, customer loyalty. Um, and uh, and ultimately into profits. And Gallup has a lo- large body of research about that. Um, they also, purpose-driven companies, outperform the rest of the market by 15 to 1. And the consumers are becoming far more discriminating about companies in this respect, especially the millennials. But it's now, just in the last few years, for the first time, more than 50% of consumers generally, not just millennials, will now pay more money for a product or service that has a social benefit built into it in some way. Um, and that's got some industries like right. banks pretty scared because they're, you know, they're, they're not even close to on the bandwagon. And the millennials in particular just won't do business with them. They just ignore them. The, 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 there are whole industries that are invisible to the millennials and banks are a great example. Um, so, uh, and that's, that's all from the business side. On the personal side, there's a huge body of research we don't need to get into today about the health benefits of being individually purpose-driven. And individually purpose-driven people earn more money. They live longer. They are far less likely to get Alzheimer's disease. It's a whole long list of stuff. Wow. Now, okay, you, you have me convinced now that this is a worthwhile thing to actually really truly engage in. But can you give me an example of a company that has done this well and so really sure. drunk the Kool-Aid and really changed their practices? And what happened? What, what was different about them? Um, so I can I can think of a couple. So there are some big ones like Procter & Gamble. You can go online on YouTube and see videos of Procter & Gamble's CEO and their chief marketing officer talking about not only about the organizational purpose, but the importance of helping the employees find their individual purpose, right? So you can... There's lots of stuff about them. There's uh, there's uh, some um, great work done. Uh, so let, let me let me give you a, a, the examples I know in most detail are my own clients because they're the ones where I got uh, had a front row seat to watch it all happen. Um, so I'm thinking in particular of one company in Israel. It was a high tech startup. Um, they had had pretty flat revenues for I think six or eight years, and then they found the individual purpose of about two thirds of the employees and the organization's purpose in the span of a few months. And the next three years, their profits went up, uh, excuse me, their revenue went up 1,223%, and they went from 4,500 customers to 4.5 million. Um, so, you know, th- th- those, are, those are crazy statistics. And, but they're not unusual when a company 
um, adopts a new purpose and then really takes it on. And this comes, this is an important one, one. This comes to the issue of strategy, right? So most big companies will pay consultants to come up with a strategy. And if you read the articles about strategy, most of those strategies are not adopted. They're not ever kind of driven through to, to completion. And there's a lot of complaints about that and, you know, leaders not backing the strategy and people forgetting about the strategy. The thing that I think people are ignoring is that no one cares about the strategy and no one cares about the strategy because no one cares about the goal. So if the goal is to grow by 20% or open a new market or something like that, my question, I love asking CEOs this question, how many people do you think jumped out of bed early and ran to work this morning to grow your, your company by 20%? Right? I can't wait to get to work and create value for shareholders. When can I start? Right? And so as goals, they're useless because they're not motivating. Now, they're not completely useless. I mean, if you want to grow the company by great 20%, that's fine. It's good for the company and good for the shareholders. But what if no one cares about that goal? How are you going to make that happen? And the answer is it's very, very difficult. So if you choose a change-the-world goal and the company has to grow in order to achieve that goal, suddenly everybody's on board trying to grow the company large enough so it can impact this social issue, whatever it happens to be, right? You know, feed the starving children in Africa or save the whales or the environment or whatever it is, suddenly the employees care, and now they will come to work early and they will stay late to make this happen. Okay. So you're talking about it in terms of purpose as a social mission, a social issue, something that you're trying to do greater in the world at large. That's right. So the typical corporate mission is, you know, we want to deliver great whatever services to our customer or grow by such and other percent or be the leader in X market. None of those inspire and therefore none of those motivate. The purpose that motivates, the mission that motivates is a higher purpose. That is, we are going to improve the world in the following way. That has nothing to do with our bottom line. Because if it's about our bottom line, that's self-interest, and self-interest isn't inspiring. The company's self-interest isn't inspiring to the employee. But if the company's going to make the world a better place, that's inspiring to the employee. And inspired employees are more productive. They stay at the company longer. They work harder, right? They create longer-lasting workplace relationships, Um Purpose-driven employees see coming to work as a way of manifesting their personal purpose, not just the company's purpose, right? Mm-hmm. And so right. ideally, in the, the places where we see the biggest jumps in performance in the company is where the employees know their own purpose, they know the company's purpose, they participate in creating the company's purpose, and they see a connection between their own purpose and the organization's purpose. I'm thinking of an example in South America where this one company made it mandatory for all their employees to have a higher purpose and for their higher purpose to be consistent with the company's purpose. I've only ever seen that done once. And they had the best financial year ever the next year, which was the year that the financial global meltdown hit their country. (laughs) All their their competitors were like scraping and trying to get by and they were having their best, their best numbers ever. That's amazing. So how does one go about, I mean, this sounds like uh, magic almost to find this sense of purpose for the company to find my Mm -hmm. own sense of purpose and then hope that everybody in the company has their own sense of purpose and those all sort of align in some mm-hmm. way. How do you go mm-hmm. about doing that with companies? 
Oh, or with leaders, I should say. That's for sure. Um, so uh, uh, in, in boardrooms all around the country, there are very smart people sitting around scratching their heads trying to come up with compelling, inspiring company purposes right now. And it's really, really hard to do. So if you sit down, get all these executives together who are really bright, well-meaning people who are trying to answer the question and try to come up with a single sentence that really articulates why we're here and the difference we want to make in the world, usually you come up with garbage. And it's, the issue is that the rational side of the brain is terrible at answering questions of purpose. So the methods that work, there are roughly two classes of methods. One class of methods is indirect methods, and that's where you ask a bunch of questions about when do we feel passionate and when's, when are we most inspired and when do we do our best work and try to play connect the dots with the answers you get to those questions. That's the most common method of purpose, and that results in the kind of purposes you'll hear from companies like Disney, our purposes to make people happy, or Procter & Gamble, our purposes to improve the lives of consumers, those kinds of very simple, short uh, sentence fragments. Um, mm -hmm. My preferred methods are something called direct methods, where we're trying to directly and intuitively access the unconscious, because the point of view is, for most purpose practitioners like myself, the company purpose already exists. People can usually feel it, and we're trying to make it conscious. Right? We're trying to find a way to articulate the thing that people can feel and smell but can't say. And so if you try to access that intuitively, it tends to work much, much, much better. And you can actually involve hundreds of people in the process of finding the organization's purpose. And they will then, the people, by the way, people who are, participate in finding the company's purpose will fall in love with the company. So it's actually a terrible idea to take the executives off on a retreat to find the purpose because you miss all this engagement you could have had by inviting everyone to participate. And you actually get a better purpose, too, if you're using a good process. Um, so these intuitively accessed purposes are much more specific and challenging and more detailed and therefore generate stronger emotion and stronger inspiration. And that's where you get these huge bumps in performances from right. those. Right. That makes sense. So can you example of this direct method or some of the result of a direct method? Yeah, so the direct methods, uh, uh, a common one is uh, the person having a written dialogue with some aspect of their unconscious. And this all gets explained to the employees so it doesn't sound too weird and everything. And the people who find it too weird just, you know, don't participate and it's fine. Um, but they, they can do a written dialogue with some aspect of their unconscious that explains the purpose to them. Or another favorite method is some groups like to do a guided visualization, right, where everyone just kind of closes their eyes and put on some background music and they go for a little stroll in their mind to go find the company's purpose. Um, and so uh, let's see, one would be uh, a good example of one found this way is the company Holacracy, which we may talk about later in the segment, um, right. which found their purpose this way, which is to transform humanity's relationship to power. Right. And we'll talk later about the self-organizing systems and, and how they're going about doing it. They're actually being very effective at that purpose. If you think about that, transform humanity's relationship to power. That's a much more specific and challenging goal than, right, than something like improve the lives of consumers. Right. Which is improve the lives mm -hmm. of consumers is good. Right. That's a real higher purpose. Mm -hmm. But transform humanity's relationship to power. That's very different. Um, another one is a, a, a uh, another client of mine is a um, they're a real estate data firm, and their uh, mission is to find the right home for everyone. Now, interestingly, implied in that statement is that everyone has a home. <laughs> 
which means that part of their mission, not the whole thing, is to end homelessness. <laughs> so, um, so you, you think about that, and it's like, oh, okay, that's, that's, you know, that's a tall order. And usually that's how people feel when they find the purpose. They're like, wow, that's a tall order. But it has to seem challenging, otherwise it won't be inspiring. Okay. So let me see if I can get the logic here, is that if we have something that's a higher purpose that our organization is trying to achieve, that's going to make me more inspired to be at work. And more inspired to be at work means I have better connections with people. I'm going to care more. I'm going to put in more effort. I'm going to be more engaged. I'm going to be more productive. Mm -hmm. I'm going to stick around longer. All good things that ultimately are going to lead to greater productivity. And it's catching. And and therefore greater profit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And consumers will catch on with this because there's a different feeling about it. People are excited. Right. They're enthusiastic. Yep. They want the company to succeed. This is the thing. If the company's trying to create a better world, everyone wants the company to succeed. If the company is trying to enrich their shareholders, the shareholders want the company to succeed, and maybe the employees. <laughs> <laughs> Although the millennials are all confident they can get another job, so they don't really care. Um, so if everyone wants you to succeed, that's good for business. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's such a, such a small, simple statement, but what a radical different way of thinking. If everybody mm-hmm. we interact with wants us to succeed because they believe in our higher purpose, mm-hmm. customers, um, marketplace in general, employees, even people who aren't family members of employees want us to succeed, that's very different than just our shareholders wanting us to succeed. Okay. Exactly. And so I'll give you a great example. So uh, fair trade coffee. I'm rooting for those fair trade coffee companies. I want those farmers' kids to go to school. I hate coffee. I will never <laughs> drink a cup of coffee as long as I live. But I still want those fair trade coffee companies to succeed. Now, that is an evidence of people wanting something to succeed. I don't know. I will never buy their product, but I'll recommend it to others. <laughs> yeah. Hey, that's great. But then we know the power of word of mouth marketing. All right. So I get it then, Tim. I get why having a genuine sense of purpose, something you are genuinely committed to do that makes the world a better place, not just make some more money, um, but to do something with that money. And that having employees have their own sense of unique individual purpose and having that tied to the organizational purpose gets right. a lovely atmosphere that's going to make a huge difference and ostensibly is going to change the way we lead. Yep. All right. That's right. So let's take a break then at this point, and then we'll come back and talk about how is it that it changes the way we lead, particularly around all this notion of collaboration. With me today is Tim Kelly. The book, if you're interested, is True Purpose. He has several other best-selling books as well. Tim is a specialist in helping um, industries around the world, leaders transform their organizations, their markets, their industries with new paradigm systems and methods. He's worked with a fabulous set of clients globally from Nabisco to PricewaterhouseCoopers to ING. ING. We'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., 
helping organizations get it and keep it. How is your business running? It should be running smoothly with nary a hiccup, like a finely tuned machine. But if you're like most businesses, yours may be running nowhere close to that. Listen for Operationally Speaking with your host, Sergio Samel. Our program will help you to run your entrepreneurial business easier, better, with less frustration. And by running it well, you're sure to be poised for faster growth. Tune in every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. With me today is Tim Kelly. Tim is a global change agent and an expert in new paradigm systems and methodologies. He's worked with a number of companies around the world and author of several best-selling books, trained over a thousand coaches and consultants in his methods. And the book that we've been talking about is True Purpose. And the notion here is that when the company has a sense of a higher purpose, something they're trying to achieve in the world that will make the world a better place in some way, then every Everyone gets excited to participate in that. They're inspired, and inspirement inspired drives greater success, engagement, better relationships, higher retention, loyalty, better word of mouth, all the things that help a business actually grow. All right, so Tim, I want to turn from that statement of understanding why purpose matters to the whole notion of a new paradigm of leadership. Because when I have this Mm -hmm. sense of purpose and everybody is trying to work with me as the CEO to get there, it seems that I have to change how I lead. So how does it change? So the first change, and this is the fairly obvious one, is that you have to keep using the purpose in decision-making and keep reminding people of it and inspiring people with it. Otherwise, it just sits on the wall or in the employee manual and everyone quickly and correctly concludes that you're not serious about it. That's the obvious one. The less obvious one is that the transaction of people working at the company actually changes, right? The traditional way we view work is economists actually model it as a necessary evil that people are trying to avoid, right? I'll work as Mm -hmm. little as I can to get the money I need in order to go have fun on the weekends, et cetera, and retire as early as possible. Um, But those purpose-driven employees I talked about earlier don't view work that way at all. They view work as the best opportunity to manifest their individual purpose in life. So they're not trying to avoid work. 
So the transaction between the company and the individual, instead of what it was in the past, is, well, we know you don't want to work, but we're going to basically bribe you to come to work and do these tasks for us, these tasks you would rather not do in exchange for this money that we know you need, which, by the way, if you think about it, is a great setup for low engagement. (laughs) Right. Instead, you say, oh, you have a purpose, well, we have a purpose too. Let's see if they're sufficiently aligned that you can come work for us. And if you do and it all works, that means your odds of manifesting your individual purpose go up because now you have access to the company's resources. And our odds of manifesting our collective purpose go up because you're helping push the ball down the field, right? So it works. It's a win-win for you and us. Both of us are going to help each other manifest each other's purpose. That's the new transaction. That's completely different. Uh, oh, oh, and by the way, you get paid too, right? <laughs> so it's like, what's not to like, right? This is why the person would work harder because they're making more progress now on their individual purpose and like the employees, the, the company purpose too, and want to help with that, right? So if you mix that, so, so now the company starts behaving that way, what starts to happen is the employees and the leaders start to chafe against the traditional hierarchical paradigm, which is to say, oh, by the way, and I'm going to tell you what to do, and you're supposed to do it whether you agree with it or not, right, which is the very definition of hierarchy. Now, modern enlightened leaders know that you're not supposed to be doing that, but they still draw the org chart the same way. So implicit in the very structure that you draw is that some people have more power than others, and their decisions and their opinions have more weight than others. And if we're trying to work together to manifest our mutual purposes, something feels off about that. And so a lot of companies, and especially purpose-driven ones, start to say, you know, I'm not so sure we're into this whole hierarchical thing anymore. What are the alternatives? And start Mm -hmm. looking at other ways of structuring and governing the company that don't seem so medieval, right? Um, And then they start to either create their own non-hierarchical system, which is fairly challenging to do, but some companies have pulled it off, or go buy and install one that somebody else created. Okay. All right. I want to go – I mean, everybody's going to say, oh, no, no, we're not hierarchical. We're flat. And you and I both know that we could walk into any global corporation and say, yes, you are. By virtue of somebody has the, the power to give me a bonus structure or a pay rise or an evaluation ranking or a performance review, and then that mm-hmm. thing affects something about me, and that is hierarchical, over which I don't have an awful right. lot of control. Right. I have to and say – global, The big global ones make no bones about being hierarchical. It's the small ones that claim to be flat. And all that means is the power structure is implicit rather than explicit. It's still there. And if you ask people, well, okay, who's – I had a a colleague of mine said, oh, no, no, we're we're collaborative. We're we're flat. We make all the decisions together. And I say, great. If you make a decision, does that decision stick? He said, yes. I said, if one of the other people in the company makes a decision, does that decision stick? He paused for a moment and he said, we're hierarchical. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) All right. So then one of these paradigms would be this whole notion of a genuinely collaborative culture. So what does that look like when we go to that sort of world versus the hierarchical world? Yep. So there's a number of attempts that have been made to try to collaborate within the hierarchical structure which is fine at one level, but it's confusing at another. 
and, and the systems I prefer have two features. One is the order chart does not look like a hierarchical order chart. It looks different. And usually it winds up being a set of interlocking rings. That's the most common structure used by truly collaborative systems. There are others, but that's the most common one. That's one. And two is that the system has been implemented successfully multiple times. Because if it's, there, there are some great examples, like the Toyota production line or Semco partners, of a truly collaborative system that's only ever been installed once. But no one's ever been able to successfully duplicate it. And if that's right. the case, I, as a consultant, I'm less interested because I want something that can be reliably and repeatably installed Right. right. It's a, say, when I used to be a software developer at Oracle, we could get it was easy to get the software working on the developer's computer. The trick was getting it to work on the customer's computer. Right? Right. <laughs> exactly. The developer's computer, you can't sell it. Um, so, so anyway, and sometimes it's actually dependent on the personality of the leader who created it. And, and if you put someone else in their place, the system will break. Right. That's less right. interesting to me. So there's actually relatively few of those systems. Um, and a few of them are sociocracy, true collaboration, holacracy, and the collaborative operating system. Those are the only ones I've been able to find so far. And there's, there, there's debate about whether each of those systems is, in fact, truly collaborative or not. But those seem to pass the, the test that I just named. Right? Um, okay. And they vary. what varies, their, their structures look very similar. What's very different is the traffic rules. Because if you don't have hierarchical leaders who are telling people what to do, who can override other people's opinions, resolve disputes, uh, make pay decisions, stuff like that, then you have to have some very explicit traffic rules, right? Now, we collaborate all the time, right? When we're all driving on the road, we're all collaborating, right? No one's in charge, right? right? In the city, the distribution of food in the city is highly collaborative. No one's in charge, right? That's how they used to do it in old school Russia, where the government said where the bread got shipped, right? So there's mm -hmm. lots of collaborative systems working. We just don't use them inside companies. We have this strange belief that someone has to be accountable and they have to have the power to tell other people what to do, or the whole system will break down, even though there's counter evidence for that all around us, Okay. Okay. So what you have to do is figure out, well, what, what are the traffic rules that create an environment in which people can operate effectively, hold one another accountable, get tasks done, get the information they need, resolve disputes and conflicts without having an arbiter who has more power than everyone else. And mm -hmm. that requires some careful thought. And these different systems are different in that they answer those questions different ways. Okay. So can you give me an example then of what a tra sure. set of traffic rules? I love this notion of traffic because it gives me a very graphic picture of what this could look like. Mm -hmm. Okay. So give me some right, examples Everyone's of going rules. somewhere. They're all able to get there. Very few people run into each other, right? And it all mostly works. <laughs> but right. there's a common set of rules that make it all work. You don't just get to do whatever you want. You can't drive the wrong direction on the freeway, for example. Um, <clears throat> so... Uh, I'll, I'll contrast the two I know best. One is the collaborative operating system. The other is holacracy. Those are the ones that I'm sufficiently qualified to install and have contributed to both systems. Um, so in the case of holacracy, if you have a dispute, the way holacracy works is all decisions go to an individual, meaning that somewhere in the company there's a role that has the authority to make that decision, and somebody has been assigned to that role. And okay. if that 
isn't true, you can actually make the decision yourself. <laughs> and then at a meeting, request that a new role be created or that that decision-making authority be given to an existing role. But you, if it doesn't exist, you can make the decision yourself in most cases in the meantime, right? There's some rules yeah. that, that, that govern that to make sure you don't do anything really terrible. But, but roughly, you know, and then think about this. There's a lot of times when people are waiting for the leader to make a decision and there's something critical happening and they know they don't right. have the authority, but they know what should be done, right? In this system, right. they can just do it. Um, so, so that's, that's that one. In the collaborative operating system, you actually train groups to do unanimous decision-making. It's almost the exact opposite. And so in that, you take the decision to the relevant group, and you make a proposal, and the group hashes it out, and they make a unanimous decision. Now, right away, hierarchical leaders say, oh, my God, unanimous decisions, that will make, take forever. Yes, it takes forever if you don't know how to do it. In organizations that know how to do it, the average time for the usual unanimous decision is something like three to five minutes. Oh, wow. And then occasionally you get really gnarly ones that take longer, right? Yeah. But those gnarly ones take longer even if you're doing them hierarchically, right? I mean, if, if it's right. a bet the company decision, even if you have the authority to make that decision, you don't flip a coin, Right. You think yeah. about it. You talk to people. You research it, right? So the really gnarly decisions take time even if you're doing them hierarchically. So right. it's, it's really stunning to people to see groups very effectively resolving difficult problems, difficult decisions, and conflicts very rapidly and unanimously. And what you wind up with that one, this is very interesting, you don't wind up with all those hurt feelings after the case. Uh, when, when the hierarchical leader made a decision and half the people like it and half the people don't. That happens right. every day. And people wind up accumulating resentment yeah. and eventually leaving the company and going work somewhere else where they have a clean slate because they feel too grumpy. That happened to me at Oracle, right? I had two organizations reorged out from under me. And it permanently damaged my employee engagement. And I was, a, you know, I was two levels below the Larry Ellison. I was pretty high up in the food chain. That's not good for everybody under me if I'm yeah, right. really pissed off and grumpy and resentful, right? And eventually I had to leave because I couldn't get over it. And that's common in hierarchy, right? right? But in these other systems where they have these re dispute resolution stuff built in, it doesn't accumulate. Mm -hmm. That's interesting because, you know, even in hierarchical models, somebody makes the decision and it, it takes for – then we get the politics playing. You know, well, we're not going to really right. do that. We're going to stall on this one. Well, let's see what happens here. I'm going to wait to go to this other person. Mm -hmm. I mean, then the political games, and it still doesn't get implemented, even if it was decided. That's right. That's so, right. the, the, the uh, rapid decision making is not an advantage if the decision never gets implemented. So, so the right. more interesting measure is how long does it take from when the question was first posed until the answer was implemented. Yes. Not how long from when the question was posed until the decision was made. That's not an interesting okay. number, because right? Right. the amount of time it takes to implement could be infinite, <laughs> okay. in okay. which case the rapid decision didn't buy you anything. So the, um, what they've shown is that in, in, highly, in, the, in the highly collaborative systems where people are making decisions together, and not all of these self-organizing systems, non-hierarchical systems are like that, like holacracy isn't like that. Um, in the ones where people make the decisions together, you wind up spending significantly more time making the decision and significantly less time implementing it. And the total time it takes is less 
And if you get a hierarchical decision quickly, and then the hierarchical leader winds up trying to sell that decision to get it implemented, it actually takes longer overall. And yeah. everybody feels better at the end. They're happier because they made the right. decision and implemented it together. Yeah. And accountable for it and have to live with consequences yep. for it and all those incredible right. things. Okay, so we've got just a couple of minutes left before we wrap up here, Tim. Unbelievably, it goes so quickly in all of this one. Does having a sense of purpose help create a more collaborative environment? It's actually in most systems required. So both Holacracy and the collaborative operating system have a requirement that the organization must have a purpose and every team must have a purpose and every role must have a purpose, <laughs> both systems. And this is, this is one of the things that most of the new paradigm thought leaders, right, the business school professors, the people writing the right. books, the consultants, that the CEOs agree on, is that if you're yeah. going to run a new paradigm organization, a organizational higher purpose is mandatory. And most of them would extend that to every team, every department, and every role in the company. So it, the, the issue is now you have people making independent decisions and teams making independent decisions that affect all sorts of things. And that sense of purpose actually guides them in their decision-making, right? So the yeah. old school strategy where you try to predict the future and then navigate based on that is basically dead. The ability to predict the future is mostly gone, right? Your company's right. 10-year plan is a joke. And so right. if that's the case, how do you navigate? How do you make decisions? How do you figure out which way to go? And purpose turns out to be an excellent way to do that. Is this product aligned with our purpose or not? Is this market or this customer or this project or this plan aligned with our purpose or not? And it turns out you can get much faster, higher quality decisions referencing the purpose than you can by trying to game the market and figure out what's going to happen. I love it. All right, Tim, sadly, we are out of time. So my guest today is Tim Kelly. The book, if you're interested, is True Purpose. Tim is a global change agent and certainly a proponent of the new paradigm systems and methodologies. He was just talking about the collaborative operating system and holacracy as two examples. And now all of that requires, in order to get genuine collaboration, it requires that we have a sense of purpose and that the purpose is driving, our higher purpose is driving our decision-making and our interactions and our behaviors with each other. All right, we'll be back in just a second to talk with Tim and look at what this, these structures really look like and how it actually all happens in these new paradigm systems. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Tune in to the soul of enterprise, business in the knowledge economy, with co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Klass. Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. 
These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The Soul of Enterprise is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Business Channel, and simulcast at the same time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. With me today is Tim Kelly, and we've been talking about Tim's notion of purpose and collaborative operating systems, new paradigms that say when hierarchy doesn't work anymore. Because when everyone is trying to make the company succeed, everybody's focused on it because they all share the same sense of higher purpose, then suddenly the traditional rules about how we get things done around here, who decides, how we resolve disputes, don't seem to apply. So we've been talking about holacracy and collaborative operating system as two new paradigm systems. And I get the sense, you know, we're just saying that if if um, everybody's making decisions based on purpose, then the decisions, we have a much better strategy plan. So, Tim, take mm-hmm. me back and show me what it looks like to be in one of these kind of organizations. What happens? How do things actually work there? Yeah, so it's, it's a little tricky for people because people are so used to collaborate to, to hierarchy and they're so unlikely to question it that just their brains melt immediately as soon as we tar- start talking about some other way of organizing things. They're fine if the computer is designed differently or the bridge or the network or the plane is designed differently. They can handle all that. But when you design the org chart differently, some, for some reason, they just their brains lock up. Um, <clears throat> so I can actually talk to in enough detail about three of these systems to, to be coherent. One is called true collaboration, and the best current example of this is WL. Gore. It was also used by Thomas Edison in his lab. It's a very highly innovative, um, creative system. In this system, there's sort of this marketplace of projects where people decide to form projects, and then people decide to affiliate with that project. So it's sort of like one of these open space technologies where you vote with your feet, except you're voting with your feet at work, right? So, oh, yeah, I want to go help them out with that project. And when a new project is formed, the people all get together in rooms and say, okay, we're going to do this thing. The first thing they do is they look around and say, okay, well, who's the natural person to lead this? And they have a very short discussion, like a couple of minutes to figure out, and sometimes even a few seconds, oh, it should definitely be her or it should definitely be him. I, okay. I read this fascinating interview with the CEO of this company who resented having to have the title of CEO. 
Because she says, well, when I go to company meetings, I'm not in charge. We all look around and decide who's in charge. And it's frequently not me. But the rest of the world can't handle a company that doesn't have a CEO. So I, it's my job to have that title for the sake of the rest of the world to be able to handle this. <laughs> so if you're a new employee there, what you do is you, you, you get a sponsor, right, who's sort of not really like a manager, who basically teaches you how the system works and encourages you to go to find projects to work on. And after you've been there a little while and you figure out how it works, then you can start creating your own projects. And you get this massive amount of innovation and this constantly shifting marketplace of ideas. And the, and the projects that have the most potential, the people are more interested and more excited about, and they then more people affiliate with that, and that project goes faster. <clears throat> so that's why. That sounds, yeah, um, okay. Yeah. So now in holacracy, you have this, sort of hierarchy of roles where you have these circles, these rings. This is a ring-based structure. And rings have sub-rings, right? So you might have the manufacturing circle, and then inside the manufacturing circle, you might have the shipping circle or something like that, right? And then each of those circles has a set of roles that are needed in order to perform the functions of that circle. And then those roles get assigned to people. But an individual could have three, four, eight, ten different roles assigned to them from different circles. And if they don't like being on that circle, if they don't like that role, they can refuse it. They can resign that role. And so then it's, again, very similar. Now, a, a given individual might have different decision-making authority depending on which hat they're wearing. Right now, I'm occupying this role which means I have this decision-making authority about this stuff over here. Now I'm acting on behalf of this role, and now I have this decision-making authority about this other stuff over here. And so people can actually have little meetings with themselves where they resolve disputes between their own roles, right? Well, this role needs this from this role, and what am I going to do about that? Um, It it, it can be very entertaining. Um, But in this one, the, the key there is that all decision-making power eventually inheres in one person who has autocratic authority to make those decisions about that particular topic, and no one can tell them how to do it. And so people get extremely creative about how they solve business problems, how they make decisions, how they fulfill the purpose of the roles they have in ways that no one anticipated. And the meetings then are meetings about how to reconcile the fact that that may cause traffic problems when people are doing things in completely creative and unanticipated ways. But this is a much better problem to solve than what most corporations are doing, which is trying to goad people into motion who are basically sitting on their butts and not wanting to do anything, right? The third one, um, the collaborative operating system, we have these, these rings, and each of the rings, the circles in that system, is now a unanimous decision-making team. Right. And in that team now that and now that you can delegate authority within those teams, you would just have to have unanimous agreement to do so. So the team could unanimously decide that this role gets to decide this topic all by itself in a way similar to holacracy. And that's actually a best practice in that system. So all the decisions don't have to come to the team. In that one, interestingly, if you don't like what's going on, you can object and stop any process people quickly learn to become careful about using that authority because right? they want the company to function. It's the person who writes their paycheck, right? right? They don't want to break the system. It's not good for them. So they start to be very careful about using that 
veto power. And, and now they're looking around. But if they see a real problem, they can stop it. They can say, oh, I'm not aligned with this issue over here. We need to do that differently. And an experienced collaborative team will turn to them and say, great, what do you recommend? What's your proposed change? And they'll quickly integrate the person's issue, come up with a new unanimous decision, and then proceed. Okay. Wow. Sounds like magic. It, it, it looks like magic when you see it. It's, it's, it's very interesting. I've had organizations hire me just to see whether I could actually do it or not because they didn't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> I, pretty funny. I can understand that one. I can absolutely, totally understand that one. Wow, boy, would that make an int- change, totally change. And it now strikes me why all of my clients, you're using the word collaborative, going, coming and going. We want a collaborative culture. We want a collaborative process. We want to collaborate with our clients. I mean, all that stuff is coming and going. I contend they have no idea what actually is involved in creating collaboration and understand now why they're not succeeding at it. They're spending inordinate amount of time with collaborative tools, meetings and emails and discussion boards and video conferences, but they don't mm-hmm. have the basic purpose, common purpose, that guides the decision and puts everybody running in the same direction for the same reasons, nor do they have any of the traffic rules, to use your language, That's right. that helps them understand how to make decisions and how to resolve conflict. That's right. And there are different traffic rules possible, as in these different systems, but you have to have them. right? If you're not yeah. going to use hierarchy, you need a clear and explicit set of traffic rules to operate in its place. And that's mm-hmm. what goes wrong. So every day in organizations, leaders are saying, well, let's decide this collaboratively. Let's get consensus. Let's do this together. And then chaos ensues <laughs> because they don't have a right. process. They don't know how to do it. And then an hour or three days later, everyone's now all pissed off at each other. Leaders imposes a hierarchical decision, which pisses people off even more, but relieves them at the same time, and says, well, we tried. We tried to get consensus, and we couldn't. And it's, the problem is that they're removing the system but not replacing it with something else. It would be like if we repealed all the traffic laws. Like, well, okay, that's not a good idea. You know, if we want to have people drive on the other side of the road, that's fine. We just got to make that clear to everybody, right? Or if this kind of car or this kind of motorcycle is not going to be allowed anymore or if green lights are going to mean something different, that's okay. But everyone has to know and they all have to be on the same page, right? If we're not going to use this system, we have to use another one. And right. that's where the flat organizations and the consensus building stuff doesn't work is there's not really a system there. There's not a system there. Or the system that I see most often when collaboration is works well is let me get together with my three or four best friends in this business that I trust deeply and we'll figure it out together. That's right. Which is not so collaboration collaborative. Works fine if I only invite the people who already agree with me. Exactly. <laughs> That's where I see collaboration really succeeding at the moment. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. Okay. So, you know, or do you recommend that companies look at one of the systems and adopt the system so we know it can be put in place, it has a set of rules, we've got some tried and tested methods, or should people try to go off and invent their own? Uh, they can, but think about it this way. So imagine that you didn't like Microsoft Word and you wanted a better uh, word processing piece of software. Well, if you're like me and you actually know how to program a computer, you could write your own. And then it could right. do exactly what you want. But think about the amount of time and energy that's going to take to write an alternative for Microsoft Word. Right? 
And so if you want to create your own system, that's fine, but you're in for a multi-year journey of exploring organization development principles that other people mostly don't think about and having lots of trial and error and understanding why the new system you designed isn't working yet. (laughs) And anyone who's created a system, if you ask them, will tell you at length about the long and painful journey that led to its creation. So if you're up for that because you don't like any of the systems that are available on the market, knock yourself out. But if you succeed and create a new and better system, the world will be better, better off for it. But it takes a lot of intestinal fortitude and a lot of skill at design to create that. Most yeah. companies would prefer to install something that they already know works. Right. Right. And would you come back then to the beginning, which is you want a system that you know is replicable, can be installed, and isn't dependent on personality of the CEO or the leader. Exactly. Makes Something a ton of that sense. comes with installation instructions and a track record of success. Yeah. I think what's inspired me out of this conversation from the beginning to end, Tim, is the connecting of this sense of a higher purpose. I'm still struck with uh, with where you started in the show when you said at the beginning, if our purpose is to make more money, then our um, shareholders want us to succeed. But if mm-hmm. our purpose is something else, then everybody wants us to succeed and everybody is in it to try to help us succeed at that, even if they don't use our products. So that driving force of understanding what are we trying to do in the world rather than just make money changes everything. And without that, you start to see why you wouldn't do the effort to genuinely create um, all the new collaborative operating system or any other system. It just wouldn't be worth it. Right. Yeah. And you can implement a higher purpose in a hierarchy. It's fine. It works great. It will help a lot. And if you adopt one of these other systems, then the purpose is mandatory. Okay. Fabulous. All right. Any last words of wisdom? for someone going down this journey? Yeah, I would say it's not for everybody. For most people, this is really interesting, right? The the ones who are going to do this are the earlier adopters. There are leaders out there listening right now who are itching, chafing at the bit, (laughs) wanting to do something new and interesting with their organization, right? That they're tired of doing it in the old way, and they know they can do better. Those are the ones who are actually going to take one of these things and implement it. And people always ask me, they say, well, which one is the best one to do first? Tim? And the answer is the one that you're really excited about and interested in, right? Whatever it is that inspires you, that makes you think, oh, wow, could we do that? Could we really do that? That's the one you want to implement as a leader because that's the one you're going to actually make work. Right. Right. I love it. All right. Tim, fascinating discussion. And I love this whole sense of the connect, as you can tell from what we've said, this connection of purpose with, um, some of the new paradigms and the collaborative operating system. Tim, I can't wait to see more of this in organizations. Thank you for being a guest today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's delightful. And join us next week for yet another episode and out of the comfort zone. Thank you for joining us for out of the comfort zone. Tune in again for another edition with Dr. Wanda Wallace next Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week.